begin to maybe settle down and be more serious about my relationship with God when I get out of college. Or maybe one day I'll get married and then I'll settle down. Or, or maybe I'll begin to share my faith when I feel like I'm a little smarter, when I have more answers. Right now I don't have to. When we start to make excuses, when we start to, to, to look at that in different ways, when we begin to make those kind of deals with ourselves, all get things together, or really follow God and win this so this morning, I bring that up because we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Chris read part of it a minute ago. And, and what we're going to see in chapter 7 is Paul gives us some very good uh, pastoral advice on that very thing, if you're at that place, or maybe you said that, on how we can follow and serve God wherever we are. And that's really what we're going to look at as we work our way through chapter 7. And what we're going to do this morning is it's a lot of verses. It's uh, 40 verses in chapter 7. We covered the first few last week. Talking about marriage and a few other things, sex within marriage. And so we're going to run through these verses and we're going to do it fairly quickly. We're going to go through these big ideas that Paul gives. And the way we're going to do it, and I'll just kind of move through it, is, is simply this. First, we're going to just ask, what is the advice Paul gives? So he gives some very specific advice on different things. Remember, this letter to the church in Corinth was, in a lot of ways, a conversation between the church and Paul. They had written a letter and then asked him a bunch of questions and then he's uh, writing to some things, but he's also answering the questions that they had, and we see that today. He starts to go into some of the things they're dealing with, and he gives this advice, this pastoral advice to all these things. And so that's the first part. We're just going to say, what is the advice Paul gives? Then we're going to ask, why does he say what he says? What's behind it? What's he getting at? What's the principle? What's he trying to point us to in this advice? And then lastly, how does it apply to us? And so what is the advice? Why does he say it? How does it apply to us? So let's go right into it. What is the advice he gives? And I'm going to run through real quickly just some of the things that Paul says without really getting into the reason that he said it, but we'll come back to that. And so look at the things he says. You know, last week we hit on this, and I'll just real briefly, verses 1 to 5 in chapter 7, he talks about sexual relationship between a married couple within the covenant of marriage. And some people had asked, should we abstain from that to be more spiritual? And he says, no. Should use sex within marriage the way God has ordained it and the way He's brought it together. And so basically, his advice is within the marriage covenant, you should have a regular sexual relationship with your husband or wife. And so it's pretty straightforward. That's the advice he gives. Or you look at verse 8, and he says, To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. And so Paul writing to those that aren't married or those that have been widowed, and he goes, You know, for some of you, it'd be very good if you just stayed that way. God may be calling you to singleness. He may want you to serve him in that capacity. He says, so for some of you, it's good, and my advice to you is to stay that way. And as I say that, so it means 2013, as I speak those words, and I say that, maybe God's calling you to be single. I realize that goes against most advertisements. It goes against pretty much every movie that Hollywood makes. You know, always we get bombarded with that, of finding your soulmate and finding this person, and they complete me or incomplete me, or those, those lines you hear in movies. And Paul says, maybe that's not God's plan for you. And in doing so, he also just affirms singleness in the way that God 
kingdom giving is just very practical advice. Then he gets to verses 10 and 11, and look at that with me. He says, to the married I give this charge. Not I, but the Lord. I think Paul's pointing to Mark's gospel, the saying of what Jesus said in Mark about what God has brought together, let no man separate. I think that's why he says, it's not I, but the Lord, talking about Jesus' actual addressing this. He says, the wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. And so what Paul points us to is the importance of marriage and the way that God has ordained it. It is a lifelong commitment. Covenant means promise. You're promising. It's the life that you're going to be together. And he says you should honor that promise within marriage. And so my advice to you is if you're married, stay married. And so he's just going through and he's giving this advice and he's walking through these things. And then he takes it a step further in verses 12 and 13. Look at what he says there. because He's talking about marriage, but it's a little different bit here. To the rest I say, I'm not the word that any brother or wife is an unbeliever to live with him, he should not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who's an unbeliever, and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. And so Paul moves into this category of if there's a married couple and then one becomes a believer and now there's one is a believer and one is a not, he says, don't just get out of that marriage. Don't just throw your hands up and go, well, I'm a believer and they're not, so I'm done with it. He says, I think it'd be better for you to stay married. That's what God intends when he brings two people together and so work through that and in that marriage. And now, when I say that, when you come into those things, I realize that's a, a tough word to hear, especially to our culture. And to say, oh, well, even though on the most important thing, the way you see your relationship with God, if you're not together on that, I still think you should stay married. That's what Paul says. And I want to be careful when we look at this, and we're going to come back to this in a second, but the reason Paul's saying all the things that he's saying, these are not ironclad, okay, this is always the case no matter what. That they won't stay together when there's sexual uh, sin in the marriage. Or it's an abusive situation or different things that would make us to reevaluate that. But Paul says it's a general rule. If you can and you can keep going in this marriage, even if one is a believer and one is an unbeliever, you should stay in that marriage. And so he begins to just give us all these different advice. He's giving it to the church at Corinth, but God preserves his word and is giving it to us today. And then he gets to 17 to 24 here, and he goes into this thing. Let's just read that there. It says a lot there. Let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him, and to which the Lord has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. If anyone at the time of his call already circumcised, let him not seek to remove the mark of circumcision. If anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised, let him not seek circumcision, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. And Paul's partly just saying right there, we'll pause right there for a second, that where you are and where God's called you, don't feel like you've now got to change external things because you've now become a believer. If you ride a big motorcycle and wear a lot of leather and Jesus gets a hold of your heart and he pulls you out of that, it doesn't mean that if you come into a church and nobody else dresses that way that you need to switch. Maybe I should change to look. No, just don't worry about that. It's what God's doing in your heart is so you honor God where you are and you serve Him. Don't worry about those outward appearances. That's not the important thing. And so He brings us and He points us to that. But then look at what He says right after that. Were you a bond 
condone slavery. And that's just a misreading of what was going on in the ancient world. The bondservant was different than what we think of when we talk about slavery. Right? When we think of slavery, we think of forced slavery, taking people and making them be slaves and holding them in that position and taking away all the rights. Bondservants in the ancient world was that they would willingly give up their rights to work for someone and they would become their slave and they would work in that way, but they made a choice to do so. And oftentimes they were paid a good wage and they could go raise up in society and become very respectable in that place. And so it's very different than what we think of slave trade in our minds today. And so when some, just, just as an aside, when someone gets into that and they go, oh, you can't trust the Bible because the Bible says slavery was good, they're misunderstanding the context. They're just misunderstanding the cultural differences. So I just say that when that comes up, and inevitably if you talk to people about the Bible, sometimes that comes up. And so I just throw that out there for you. But the thing he's saying here is, is that, that, that serve God where you are. Don't become so obsessed with changing your station in life and then saying, I'll serve God. Just serve him where you are. And so he gives these different things and these advice, and that's just kind of the basic what he runs through advice that he gives in this chapter. And so now I want us to think of what is behind all this. What is Paul getting at? What is he trying to teach us by giving us this advice? And he's saying a couple of things, and I want us to go back to something we talked about last week. If you were here, maybe you remember this. If you weren't, then that's good that we're going over it again. But uh, what you get here, and we talked about this last week, is this idea that is so foundational to who we are in relationship, in our relationship with God. And I was talking about last week as we got to the end of chapter 6. If you just look up there at verses 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? within you whom you have from God you are not your own for you were bought with a price so glorify God in your body and I mentioned last week that the catechism questions we've been using in the New City Catechism and how the, the first question in that uh, catechism and that question and answer the basics of what we believe is what is our only hope in life and death and the answer is we are not our own we belong to God and we are talking about that and the importance of that and, and I want you just to before we even go to Paul's reasons and what he's saying, because if we don't get this right, most of what Paul says makes no sense. And so I just want to ask this question before we go, what is the Bible really about? What is the, the main storyline of the Bible? You know, we spent all of last year, from January through December, all doing what we call the story, the big idea of the Bible, following the big themes all the way through. We kept saying over and over that the Bible's the story is really about God and what he's done for us. See, the Bible is about God and who he is and the way he's revealed himself and what he's showing us about him. We so often want to flip all the things that God gives us and tells us to make it all about us and it's all about me. And I decide that's what sin is. That's what we did in the original sin. We exchanged making God the sinner for making ourselves the sinner. And if we see ourselves as the sinner and we walk through what Paul says here, we go, but if you get the biblical perspective that it's all about God and his glory and pointing to him, then it radically changes the way you see what Paul says here. And so I want you just to have that in your mind, that, that 6, 19, and 20. That you are God's temple, and you are not your own, and you are off of the price, and so glorify God in your body. And just, just remind you, there were no chapters and verses when Paul wrote this. This 
to help him. And in verse 5, if you look at the way he says it in verse 5 at the end there, he says you do this and then you come together and then right at the end of verse 5, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Paul says that you should enjoy sex within marriage so that you are not tempted to dishonor God with your body. So you don't have sex outside of marriage because that is dishonoring to God because that's not the way he designed it. So Paul gives us a very spiritual reason of why you should have regular sexual contact within your marriage. So you don't dishonor God with your body. We don't like to hear that a lot in our day because we just took it all and made it about God. Right? It's the same thing when we talk about the Bible. It's pointing us to who God is and honoring God. And as you start to work your way through the things he says, right, he gets down toward the end and he starts beginning to talk about those that are engaged and he says the same thing again in verse 36. If anyone thinks he is not behaving properly towards his betrothed and he says he is engaged, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes and let him marry and it is no sin. And again, he says if you're getting to where you're all amped up and it's a problem in your engagement, then go ahead and get married so you don't sin. Use the good gifts God has given so that you are honoring him in your relationship. And so he makes it about God's glory. Right? There's this beautiful picture of marriage in the Bible that is so much greater than we make it out to be. Oftentimes we make it all about us and my soulmate and they'll make me happy and all these things. And yes, marriage is a wonderful gift that God gives us and it should be honored and we should make a big deal about it and that's great, but so many times out of its proper place. And so Paul just says, use these good gifts to honor and point to God. Or look at the reasons he gives in verse 8, right? Verse 8 he says, to the unmarried and the widows, I say that it's good for them to remain single as I am. Right? He says the same thing in verse 7. I wish that they were all were as I myself am. He says, I wish that more people could stay single. And then I want you to think about the reasons he gives. And he gives a couple of reasons. Look at verse uh, 25 with me. He says, Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as the one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of this present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. And so what he's saying is, and what he gets to there is, it's because of what's going on in the world, it's good that some people remain single. So when we read this in Scripture, when we say a lot of times we say that there's things that are time-bound, that are, that are pointing to a specific reason at Paul's day and his time, and we say that's time-bound, and I think this is one. Paul says maybe it's good for people not to be married because of the distress that's in the world. We know from other sources and from Acts and from different parts of the Bible, what's going on is there's a great famine at the time. And Paul says, you know, it may be good that you don't get married because this famine is terrible. It's hard to take care of yourself, let alone a wife or a family, so maybe it's better you stay single. And so part of what he says there is very just practical, time-bound advice. But then he goes on and he says a little more. Look at verse 32 to 35. He gives us another reason. He doesn't just give us because of a famine or hard times. Look at what he says. He says, I want you to be free from anxiety. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord and how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things and how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord and how to be full 
may want you to be single so you can go off on the mission field. God may want you to be single so you can do other things that are devoted to Him and praising and glorifying and looking to be Him and He won't have these other things to worry about. Now that's not to say that marriage or children or those things are bad. He's just saying some people are called to a different life than that. And He says this is good. Right? I want you to think about who's right. This is Paul, probably the greatest evangelist who ever lived that did so much for the spread of the gospel and he wasn't married. And he says, it's good that I wasn't married because I could go and do these things that I couldn't have done otherwise. And so you get this picture of what he's talking about and the reason he's giving is maybe some of you are called to be single so that you can be more devoted and more singular in your focus to the Lord. And he says, that's a good thing. Now again, that's why we goes further and then he begins to talk about marriage and reconciliation. He talks about if, if you're, you're wanting to be divorced, don't be divorced. He says, just try to work it out. Do everything you can. Again, that goes that flies in the face of our culture in which we get divorced. People get divorced with the littlest of reasons so quickly and so fast. And he says, don't do that. Seek to honor God in your marriage. It's the same thing when he goes and he moves on and he talks about someone being married to an unbeliever. He says, some of you, and, and, and let me just set the scene here, the, the picture is someone who was uh, married, and they were both unbelievers, and then one becomes a Christian. Right? Because he'll say later on that you're not to go marry someone who's not a believer. If you're a believer, you're supposed to seek a godly husband or wife. Because that's going to be an area of friction in your marriage if you don't. It's the most important thing in your life you're not one. But then he says, if you're in that situation, stay in that situation, look at the reasons he gives. Look at verses 14, 15, and 16. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. And so what he's saying is, it's not that the unbelieving husband or wife is, is saved, or they're now good with God because they have a believing wife or husband. He's saying they're set apart. That's what holy means. Different. Right? It's a different household with a believer and an unbeliever than people with two unbelievers. And he says if you stay in that marriage holy, it's different in that they see God modeled and they see your faith in Christ right in front of them. And he says, so if you have that opportunity to glorify God in that relationship and point them to Jesus, do it. And then he says in verse 16, look at what he says, do you not know, wife, whether you will save your or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? He said, if you bail on it, you may be circumventing the way God's working. Maybe he wants to use you in that marriage that's not equally yoked, where one is a believer and one is an unbeliever, to spread the gospel and share it, that they'll become saved. Do you see how radical that is to our mindset when we become so self-centered? Oh, well, I'm not happy, so I'm out of here. And he says it's about God's glory more than it's about that. And you might be able to bring this person in and shed light on who God is by staying in it. So stay in that marriage. And so he begins to show you this. You see what's behind. I hope you start to see the pattern of what's behind everything he's saying. It's about God's glory. It's about pointing to who God is in all these different circumstances and situations. He says the same thing in verses 21 and 22. Were you a bondservant when called? Did not be about it. But if you gain freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. Right? What he's saying 
God when I get my freedom. He says, you serve God right where you are. God saved you in that situation where you are, so honor him where you are. And that's what he begins to say, and that's the reason he gives over and over. Look at verse 17. Let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him, to which God has called him. He says, if God's got you and you're a bondservant, he knows what he's doing. And he says, so you serve him right there. He says the same thing in verse 24. So brothers, whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. God wants to use you right where you are. And that's what he's saying. It's the same thing he says earlier in verse 7. At the end of verse 7, he says, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. And for some people, the gift that God is giving you is to remain single. For others, it's to be married. For others, it's to be in a bad job. Like you might be in a really tough job for a season. And God, God's word is telling you, you go ahead and you serve them right where you are. You don't ever buy into this like, oh, I'll get to serving God when whatever happens. Because you don't do that. You serve them right where you are, wherever that may be. And so oftentimes I think, and, and I feel this, it's not pointing the finger at anybody, we come together and we hear God's word and we read books and we listen to sermons and we listen to people exhorting us to go and do things for God, and we're blessed with it and then we walk out the door and there's crying babies and there's diapers to change and you got to get up in the morning to go to work and you got to fly across the country for a business meeting and you got to do all these things and you go, yes, that's great. I don't even have time to do anything right now. I'm struggling just to get to the next day. And so often we can get frustrated with that and we can go, how in the world am I ever going to do that? We talk a lot here about discipleship. Being disciple in relationships and, and help and do that and get involved with other people and disciple them and let them disciple you and work together and do that. And I hear people go, I'd love to do that. I just don't have time. You realize that if you have small children, you're the person that's dealing with diapers and children and all those things, you have built-in discipleship in your house. So serve God by honoring where he's placed you. Love your kids and teach them. Love your husband. If you're in a bad job, love the people that are around you. Look for ways to serve God right where you are. It's so easy to beat ourselves up and go, oh, I can't do that, I can't do all these things. God's placed you right where he wants you. I used to say that I had this conversation with my brother a couple years ago. We were talking about a seminary professor and the guy would get up every morning and he would pray for two and a half hours and do all these things. And I would have time to hear him and I would say, oh, I can't hear that. He'd go, oh, I want to do that. I want time to do all these things that you're talking about. And here am I, my, my younger brother that is much wiser than I am, oftentimes looks at me and he goes, uh, do you realize that? And his kids are grown, and he's a professor in a seminary, and he's, he's at a different station of life than you are right now. And so he said, I would wager to bet his life didn't look like that when his kids were two and five and seven. So serve God where you are. God's placed you uniquely right where you are, so look to serve him. Look to follow his spirit wherever he's got you. As Paul says, is a gift that he's given you. One is your own gift from God, and it's all different for every one of us, so serve them right where you are. And so that's the last thing I want us to think about, how do we take this today? And that's, that's the first part. 
going to soccer practice and changing diapers and whatever, but I want you to use me. Guess what? He will. You just say, use me where I am. He will. And so you be willing and you pray and you seek the ways that he wants to use you right where you are. Wherever that may be. And so I want, that's, a, that's the first thing I want you to think about in all things seeking his glory, wherever that is. And the second thing is, look at verse 31 real quick, what Paul says right at the beginning of this. He's going through and he's saying, live as if life is short and that God is coming back at any moment. And by the way, people here were, that, they were under the impression that Jesus is coming back any day. This is 2,000 years ago. I hear people say that a lot today. This is the end. I'm certain God is coming back. He may be. Should live like he's coming back today. But it may be another thousand years. Just let me remind you, 2,000 years ago, they thought he was coming back any day. And so there's this tension in Scripture that we just don't know, and so we should be living as he is at all times. And so you see that there, and Paul's saying that, and so what he's getting at in verse 31, when he says, for the present form of this world is passing away, he's saying the eternal is so much greater than don't get so caught up in chasing a job or a station or an outward appearance or all these other things that those things are going away. So look to glorify God right where he's supposed to, whatever that looks like. And then lastly, the last thing I want to say, and I want to make sure I'm clear on this, when, when we read through this, when you read the things Paul's saying in this chapter, I realize a lot of these things are hard things. That when he talks about don't be divorced and look to reconcile, that advice comes to people that are in a hard situation. And so I don't want to be flip about these things. I don't want to be flip about the hard things. And so I'll just glorify God and it'll be fine. Because I realize when you're in the midst of these things, it's very hard. Singleness can be very hard. There can be days where you go home and you're there alone and you're very lonely and it's hard to do that. And so for me to stand up and go, hey, just glorify God where you are. That can be very hollow sounding sometimes, or, or difficult times if you're living with an unbelieving spouse. I'm not going to church. I don't care. Whatever. You're on your own with that. That can be a really difficult situation, whatever that may be. And so when I say to center on Christ and look to glorify Him in all things, no matter where the station are, I don't say that flippantly. I say that looking squarely at our Savior and what He's done for us. I say that begging with you because your joy, your greatest need is found in him and not spouse. Your greatest need is found in your Savior and not a job. And so I say that because it is the most important thing you can get. And God may have placed you in these different circumstances, but he says, my grace is sufficient for where you are. Jesus has proved the way he loves us. Wherever you are, whatever hard things or whatever loneliness you've been through or whatever that may look like, Jesus knows it. He went through cosmic isolation when he was on the cross and God poured out his wrath on him for our sin and he knows what loneliness is. He knows what rejection is. He knows what all of it is. And he's proven it to you and he's proven that he loves you more than anything you can imagine. He's purchased your right standing before God. He's renewal of your inner being. He's purchased good works that he wants you to walk in. And he gives those things to you. He's purchased your glorification
glorify him with your life wherever that is, you be a willing vessel in knowing this, that whatever befalls you, whatever comes, whatever comes into your life, or whatever he's doing, or whatever he's bringing, he's using that to make you into his glory image. You can trust that. And you can love him, and you can seek to honor him wherever you are today. So never buy into that lie that, oh, tomorrow or the next day or whatever, I'll serve him. Let's look at serve him with everything we have right now, wherever we are. Let's pray. Lord, we, that is our prayer. Thank you.